0: Before we get to the show, did you know you can get more insights just like the ones you're listening to right here on Seeking Wisdom deliver right to your inbox? Sign up to get my weekly newsletter. It's called The One Thing at Drift.com DC. Boom, we're back. It is Seeking Wisdom and I'm here with Leo, Leo's Chief Product Officer at Drift. He is the brains behind the operations and the beauty, and uh, I'm not sure what I am in this operation. I wear hats well. My ha- my head was made for hats, right? Pretty good. Uh, so welcome back, Leo. What are we talking about today?
1: I think we're talking about iteration. This is a, a veiled one-on-one where you want me to iterate and go <laughs> faster.
0: <laughs> Before the, Look at this. I'm double-branded. I didn't even notice. Look at the shirt. And look at the homemade hat. Now to see both of these things, you have to subscribe to our YouTube. Check this out on YouTube if you're listening on audio only. Yeah, so we had notes about uh, doing this episode. And then Leo asked me, who comes up with the episode ideas? And I said, uh, not me. And he's like, this seems like a veiled one-on-one. Because we're talking about iteration. (laughs) Leo, have we been talking about iteration lately?
1: Just a little. We've we've been (laughs) iterating on it.
0: (laughs) So the context for everyone listening is Leo joined Drift, coming from Salesforce, having gone from a thousand people when he first joined Salesforce, then he started his own company in between, came back to Salesforce. By the time he left, it was 50,000 people. He's back down now. He's back in the jungle. Welcome to the jungle. You're back in the jungle with 500 people at Drift right now. And he is helping us transform our entire product organization and bring our product into the future, which is all about one word, iteration. That's all we're talking about, iteration. So we're having some lovely conversations on iteration, and we wanted to share some of our thinking with this here Seeking Wisdom community. So tell me how you think about iteration, both at the scales that you operated at before, the scale of your startup and then at Drift. Maybe they're all the same. Maybe they're, they're different. So love to know the common threads uh, between them.
1: They are, I'd say, I mean, the Salesforce and startup, completely different. <laughs> okay, yes. And Drift is probably another level of different. <laughs> it's like a third dimension of different.
0: <laughs> Let's unpack that. Sometimes I think I'm, I'm playing th- uh, three-dimensional chess.
1: Yes. Like it in is, Star Trek. Kind of like that. So while well, at Salesforce, the iteration is kind of baked, uh, like baked against you because Salesforce only, only iterates three times a year. So the pace of iteration is already kind of baked into the process. They only make three releases a year.
0: So tell me about that. So that's just like, when are these three releases? Why three releases and like, how, did that, how does that work?
1: Yeah, so early on in Salesforce's history, I think there were multiple releases a year. In fact, it might've been closer to, to Drift where they, they would just release all the time and it became chaos. So word of warning, we might get the chaos, hopefully not, but at some point it became so unmanageable to get the motions out, but well, actually the motions inside Salesforce and then also into the go-to-market so that they could be prepared to talk about things going out to market. But they started to change. Um, this was before I went into product at Salesforce, by the way, so I didn't see it, but I heard about it. And then I think they decided, look, three releases is, is the I don't know why they decided on three releases but they named it after seasons or spring winter and summer i think there's no mm-hmm. autumn, no fall i don't know why I don't...
0: that's when things die in the fall
1: yeah i guess maybe it's it's a bit too too sad yeah and they, they did it kind of like magazines where it's like you know you release the spring thing so that when people are looking at the magazine it is spring but it would be released before spring so it oh, yeah, yeah. confusion
0: but it's like fashion when you're a fashion buyer and you're buying right now, is it's summertime, you're probably buying spring, right? You're, you're usually like two seasons ahead you're buying.
1: So anyway, but they so they baked that into the into the whole process. And you know, for the most part it worked, but it did tamper the ability to iterate. So you had to think a lot more about the details of something before you rolled it out because you, you wouldn't have another shot at iterating on it for another four months. It, which has its pros, but it also has its serious cons, as you know.
0: Yeah, and what what were the cons and what were the pros? I mean,
1: the the pros is it does help you figure things out more deeply. The cons is you could be way way off, and then you're hosed for four months. You're hosed. You can maybe do little tweaks because you know you there there is the ability to do patches and things like that, but not a major change.
0: Patches, yeah. You're taking me back to before the internet.
1: I'm going back to you know the old CDs, the software, we, when software was sold in CDs. We're dating ourselves. But actually, my team, we tried to break that mold. We tried to do something that was called continuously releasable. <laughs>
0: mm-hmm. But that's why you're a troublemaker. That's why yes, you're like, exactly
1: I always was a troublemaker, even at Salesforce. And we tried it. We did manage to have some success, but we were always swimming against the grain. It was difficult. It was very, very hard. But we were trying to do it more iteration. And then when
0: you went to your when you started your own company, what was iteration like? Every week. Yeah.
1: <laughs> we had another problem, which is we had to deal with the whole Apple thing because it was a mobile app. And then you have to, you know, you release it. You have to wait for the whole process to go. You know what it's like.
0: Yeah. 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 It's gotten better now, but, but probably when you were doing your startup, it was, it was, not, it was painful.
1: And so we started, we, we were in this like weird schizophrenic mode where you have the thing that's live. You're releasing another one that's not going to see the light of day for another two or three weeks. And you're starting to think about the next one. It just drives you kind of crazy because you don't know what's where. It's just insane
0: yeah i remember I remember uh, when we were doing our when we started drift and we were doing we were mobile only for a little bit. And this is at the very beginning. And we were in that state. And then you were constantly you didn't know what you were talking about anymore because you'd be talking about. Problems, but in your mind, as a product organization, you've already released something, and you're like, "Well, not that, because no one actually has that thing." And you're working yet on the next release, right? So you're like, "You don't even know, like, what are people talking about? Are they giving me feedback on some test flight candidate? Are they giving me feedback on what's in production? What is in production? Because I'm already like three versions ahead of that. Like it was just this constant state where you're confused what you're working on there."
1: Yeah, it's gone nuts.
0: And then what is what is the three dimensional? Chess at Drift, like?
1: Well, I mean, at Drift, what you have and Elias have instilled in the team is this idea of having very, very small teams that are very, very nimble. And so now you have like a multitude of little things going on at very different speeds and different, and they're all autonomous. So it is a whole different dimension, which I had never seen before. And it's exciting. It's unusual for me, a little, <laughs> a little hectic at times, I'll be honest. <laughs>
0: We'll have to share with people. Uh, we'll have to do a screenshot that I sent you earlier. We were talking about tabs, and I sent them how many tabs are open in my uh, browser, and that was only one window. I have three other windows that look like that, and so and I have a little uh, heavy memory usage thing coming up right now as we're recording this. So that's kind of like that. That's the visual of what we're talking about here. So that iteration is interesting. I mean, I never operated at the scale that you did at. at Salesforce. So I've never seen that kind of scale, but you know we had a similar problem at the at, at when we were at HubSpot of we were running in the same kind of mode that we are now, like continuously building stuff, even more extreme because we had to build new products at the same time we were replacing a hundred percent of of an old product that we had existing customers on. So there'd be multiple migrations happening for different parts of the product line. And what we had to do in the end, which I don't you know, know what they do now, but was we had continuous deployments like we do now and we had to do one thing we had a you know faster iteration happening or number of releases happening every single day and then what we had to do eventually was two things one from a marketing and sales standpoint and customer standpoint there was only one there was basically like one release a year one because uh that's when it would get announced and that's when it would get like heavy training and heavy announcement and heavy partner uh, involvement i should say public partner involvement in our event which was you know called inbound you know sort of like a smaller dreamforce that's when it would happen that's when the majority of the customers in the world would learn about it but the reality was we would have released that 6 months before 9 months before that ever happened it was actually live customers were using it real customers not not early access uh, customers were using it. It was just like no one was talking about it yet. But again, this is SMB customer base, so like we weren't talking about it, we weren't promoting it, we weren't trying to get people into it on mass, and they were slowly opting into it. And then we added the the second thing, which was this ability, and this was for the bigger customers, where like they couldn't deal with things changing in the UI, right? And we had partners, like we had a partner in jo- in Japan, Tangent here, who. Japan's a whole different way of doing business, like where they would train all of their customers on the interface and they actually would have binders that they would print for their customers, printed of every screen, like this. Da, 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 da. And everything was, tra- every text was translated on the screen. I had no idea until I met this partner and they were like, you keep changing everything and we like printed, printed. And I'm like, you print the screen? What, what are you doing? Anyway, we had to re- create this feature that would enable partners and customers to be able to opt in to new releases, right? And which drove product crazy because it meant, what it meant in reality was they had to support multiple versions. So they had to, like, if you were releasing a new version of whatever, you know, email, or you were making changes to email, you may have to support the old version of the email And not have anything break for six months, nine months, whatever the agreement was. As people were slowly opting into this thing, so that's the way that we dealt with it. Again, no one, no one liked supporting multiple versions, and support had to. And then we had to figure out tooling for support because when support issues came in, was it the old version, the new version, almost like the Apple thing that you were talking about? But from a customer experience standpoint, it was way better because it gave them control, it put the control in the customer. And they said, I'll opt in when I'm ready to this new version. And in some cases, we had to have backwards compatibility where they might try it and they may be able to revert back to the old version. Again, everyone hated this from a build standpoint, but it was important.
1: Well, a couple of things you mentioned there. One is, yeah, you, th- you thought you'd get rid of the whole on-prem way of d- d- uh, developing mm-hmm. software. It comes back to bite you. as yeah. That was exactly it. At Salesforce, there was a name for that thing. In fact, it was called DNAENF, a wonderful acronym that stands for Do Not Auto- It sounds like, en- like a curse. it's yes. Do Not Auto-Enable New Features.
0: Oh, okay. And that's not where I you were going when you said DNA. <laughs> no, 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 no. <laughs> when
1: no, it no, had so the F in it. it. No, but it's basically a switch that every org could say, anything that you release is held off until I explicitly turn it on. Yeah. There's plenty of rogues like that. And obviously, most of the Japanese customers are like that. In fact, mm-hmm. 100%. When we about the Japanese customers, there was some, I think, in fact, this is my second stand at Salesforce. They were talking about moving to Lightning. And some of the customers would say, all right, this is a whole change of the UI. Moving this over is going to cost me $2 million. Yeah.
0: Said,
1: moving over, I have to print the things, I have to release all the, you know, the. So they yeah. did
0: the same thing with the printing?
1: Yeah. Oh, yeah. 100%. <laughs> Oh my God. and all the training that goes with it and all the people that they have to train insane, insane and you start looking at that you're like oh, okay, I get it it's different
0: that's the only way I got it when the guy actually, the partner showed me the, the binder he brought the binder from Japan to the event because he wanted to yell at me he had the binder and then there was the binder every screen every label and then it was like in-person trainings and kickoffs and this, and it was like this whole calendar thing. I was just like, what, what are you talking about? And this doesn't even count for like change that's happening within the company in in terms of their customers, in terms of new employees and all this, but like the training was like mental on what they were doing.
1: I think for enterprise companies, like non-Japanese ones, let's put put that aside Mm -hmm. because that's a whole category. And so I think it's somewhere in between. I think they do need some stability but they, they, they don't go as far as going to, to print binders and that kind of stuff anymore. No, <laughs> no, no. That's no. unusual. But I think like once a year is kind of rough because enterprise, they, they do want to onboard new things. We do want to get them to use them. I think, for example, at Drift, I could see us getting to a monthly cadence because it's also, it also helps with CS and and, uh, and and the sales teams and marketing teams. They want to know how to talk to customers about these things. And having things piecemeal leads to situations where the customer is telling them, hey, this thing just popped up on my screen. It's like, oops.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You never want that. Now, we, you know, to clarify, we did have, we had big releases new, whole new products will come online throughout the year. And we would, we could train and we would train, you know, the salespeople and what have you, but we wouldn't announce it publicly. We wouldn't try to get 10,000, whatever it was, 15,000, 20,000 customers to use it all of a sudden, we wouldn't try to like you know sell it, you know go head to head competitively with someone and make a big splash in the market until we did it at this big event because that was the when we would gather or whatever it was a hundred thousand people or whatever it was you know to make this splash. Part of it worked because one mistake that I I've made and I see all the time is tying marketing and product releases tying them too tightly and it's just like it's always a disaster. Right, because it's like at the end of the day, if you're tying to like a marketing date and then that's the forcing function, they want to announce some stuff, then you're always cutting back and it's always like a half version of it. And then it's a you're making a big splash of something that's like the half version, and there's all sorts of bugs and problems and this and that. And there's basically it's the exact opposite of what we were talking about in this episode. There's no iteration. What you want to do is separate them so that you have a bunch ideally of iterations before you make a big splash.
1: Yeah. So you know it's solid. The thing I've seen also is the other extreme, where they're so uncoupled marketing and product that you market something that you never ship. <laughs> that <laughs> That's called vaporware. Yes, yes, I've seen that mm-hmm. a few times. That's oh, crazy. yeah. Yeah. We don't
0: want that. We want the opposite. You want sh- lots of shipping. And then when something is well-baked solid and has customer testimonials, has case studies, has examples, has been vetted and trained and everyone's trained, then you make a big splash about it. You don't want the training to start then.
1: And that's the strongest marketing as well. It's not the company saying it, it's the customer yeah, saying
0: it. Absolutely. You only
1: get that if it's baked and tested and tried. And
0: Yeah. 100%. So how do, how do you think about feedback loops and how do we tighten our feedback loops at Drift, but in general for anyone listening to this?
1: I think it's, it's getting very, very close to customers. I mean, you have to be friends with the customer. You have to understand their problems better than they do so that you come in as an advisor. And when you're an advisor, they constantly want to get, uh, get you feedback. And so that helps you close those loops more tightly. That's how I see it, at least. How do you see it? Going back to the veiled one-on-one, where am I not closing the feedback loop?
0: <laughs> This is a a coaching session, personal coaching. I think the most important thing to drive in the entire company, right? In a company, but especially in our company, and then within the product organization as the heart, is the idea of a customer feedback loop. And that customer can be internal or external. Internal should be one of the customer bases that you serve, but like meaning- you know, in our case, we produce sales and marketing software. So, like, our sales and marketing team should be customer zero for everything. But, like, tightening the customer feedback loop, how close can you get to the customer? And what you want to avoid in that feedback loop is proxies. Like, if you're the one actually building product, in other words, you want to get the people who are actually Hands-on keyboard, right? Unlike me, I didn't, I didn't even touch this keyboard, but like hands-on keyboard, actually creating or hands-on mouse, actually creating the design, the product, actually coding it. you want those makers to be as close as possible to one-to-one interaction with the customer, because that's when you'll get the best results. In my opinion, that's when you'll get the true feedback. And so you want that. And then you want to avoid proxies as much as possible. PMs in some ways are proxies, right? So like they are necessary, they're needed, they are core to the thing working, but you, want, you don't want all information from the customer to be filtered through a PM and then to go to the actual person making the thing, right? You want this direct connection. The other thing you don't want is the feedback to go through a proxy to get to the PM. So in that case, like not actually talking to customers, but actually reading feedback or reading emails or listening to calls or whatever. No, you want to, you want them to feel the pain and energy just like when that guy came with the binder, put the Japanese binder in my face. You want that like in your face, right? Like I had heard about it on a theoretical level. I heard like that they had this whole training thing, but it was not until the binder was in my face that it was just like, Oh, okay. I get the pain now. I see the pain. With proxies,
1: yeah, yeah with proxies i think the message gets gets softened mm-hmm. and it gets muddled you get into a game of telephone and i'll go one totally. step further i think even the person who's giving the feedback sometimes proxies for themselves like yes it's important to just watch them watch them do it. it's like oh shoot why'd you do that why'd you click there that's that's not what i intended and you only see that by actually watching the person use it
0: there's also like numbness that comes from it it becomes like a theoretical exercise or something, it's like, oh yeah, I I see that bad thing happening in a distance. If it's involving you, if you feel the pain in your face, you physically, emotionally feel that pain, then you're just like, you're more apt to actually solve the problem versus just being an observer, right? Getting into this observer pattern. So for us, you want to get as close as possible. You want the people making to be as close as possible to the customer. Then the next thing is that you want to learn not repeat. You want to learn from the mistakes that you're making in getting that, building that product, doing that thing uh, that you're doing, launching that strategy. And then you want to as quickly as possible then iterate. And you want to have as many, you know, I kind of think of it as like, you want to have as many learning loops as possible for anything that you're creating, anything that you're building, whether it's a product, whether it's a service, whether it's an offering that you're that you're doing, whether it's a sales approach or a marketing approach, like all you want is like as many iterations as possible. Because as long as you learn and you don't keep repeating the same mistakes, then that's how then you have progression and then you'll have very fast progression in what you're building.
1: Yeah. I have a follow-up question for you. Yeah. Tables have turned. I'm asking you questions. How do you figure out like when when to stop iterating and focusing on the next thing?
0: Hmm, that's a good question. So I would say focus on the next thing. It's an interesting thing. I think in in one way, I think you should never stop iterating on the thing. And so that's why I kind of believe in this, like that, which you mentioned, these like small teams and this idea, because in my mind, it's like, if someone is still using something that you're making, whether it's software, whether it's a service, whether it's any kind of offering you put together, if they continue to use it, if more if customers are using it and more customers are using it over time, Then the learning should never stop. It should continue to evolve and iterate, right? We're not producing something that is static. We are in the software world, so it should continue to change and evolve over time. So therefore, I think the iteration should never stop at a micro, at that micro level. Moving on to the next thing might be a company or team or market imperative. And in that case, as long as you're serving the customers with the, with the old thing, you should spin up and start new teams ideally to deal with The new imperative that you have in terms of going on to the next thing. Like if you were to like think about the big transformation, legendary transformation that Netflix did to move from DVDs to online and to now studios, right? That whole thing. When they did that move, even though they moved the bulk of the company to focus on this new thing that was possible, which was online consumption of video they still had teams and facilities and things set up to continue to serve those customers in the DVD part of the business until that no longer made sense but only those teams only went away from focusing on that and doing that work when they no longer sold and serviced that product that's how i think about like how i think about it and so i think at a micro level, the team should never stop iterating and learning on what they're doing because it can always improve and get better. And then at, at a macro stage, yes, start new teams, new people to focus on new imperatives or new things that we need to focus on.
1: And in the in the Netflix analogy that you gave, actually, it's you could say the team continued to focus on the same use case. It was just a different product to serve that
0: use case. Totally. Totally. Yeah. It it was a different product to serve, which was enabled, which was the time was right to be able to do that. And that's why they could do that. I'm also, you know, we've also had on this here podcast, if you haven't listened to the authors of Working Backwards. And if you look at towards the end of that book, and these, this is the story of how they build within Amazon at Amazon, you know, when they went into Prime, when they went into video, when they went into all the new businesses, the Kindle, et cetera, et cetera. And there's chapters on all of those. When they went into those, those were new teams. Those were new imperatives. It didn't mean that they stopped iterating on shipping, stopped iterating on e commerce, stopped iterating on category creation. Those things continue to have teams and resources and people iterating on it because there were still customers that were being served and new customers that were coming in to to use those products. They just had to continue to scale horizontally and add more teams to be able to do more things. And that's how I think companies should operate. That's how I think we should operate.
1: We're getting there. We're trying.
0: (laughs) We're getting there. All right, if you can teach us something about iteration, I want you to leave a comment for us on this here, wherever you're watching this, leave a little comment or review six-star-only podcast certified, worlds-only, galaxies-only six-star certified podcast and hit up Leo and tell him to tell you something in Portuguese, tell him how young he looks compared to the old, old uncle. Again, I can wear hats. Check out my hat on video. All right, Leo, thank you for joining us today. Thank you. Iterate, iterate. Let's do it. Let me know what you thought of this episode by texting me at one 380 1036 Again, one 380 1036 Now, if you're looking for more leadership insights, sign up for my weekly newsletter, The One Thing, at drift.com slash DC. Every week, I'll share a habit, tool, or mental model that's helping me reach my goals. Hope to see you there. Text me. Hit me up.